you pray with me again? Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, chapter 10 in the book of John. And we just ask now for your help as we come to study it and read it and unpack it together that you uh, would teach us by your spirit. Would you help us understand what we read and apply it to our lives? Jesus, would you help us see you clearly? Uh, We need your help. And so we invite you now. uh, In your name we pray. Amen. All right, friends. Well, hey, go ahead and open up your Bible to John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, or if you have a phone or device, however you need to get to John 10, go ahead and join me there now as we are continuing our sermon series, Walking Through the Gospel of John, little by little. Uh, Let me just say, it's good to be back with you. I missed you last week. I was out of town, but uh, it was a special Sunday here, right? Because Darren was leading worship and Pastor Ian gave his first sermon on a Sunday morning here. So I was bummed to miss it and heard it just went great in every way. And so I wish I was here with you, but I'm glad to be back. And so um, my name's, again, if I haven't met you, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And just we are so glad that you are here. And hey, I want to quickly highlight before we get into the text, uh, it's still the third quarter, right? We've been calling this whole fall the third quarter, this church-wide emphasis that we have. We're trying to say, hey, what sort of halftime adjustments? If we're a sports team, we just came out of halftime, getting back into the game as life kind of, you know, into the future is starting. And what sort of adjustments do we need to make? One of those adjustments is we wanted to put some really good resources in your hands for you to engage in beyond Sunday. Okay, and so every month we're putting out some resources on our website, or if you have one of these fancy fridge magnets, you can use the QR code here. It'll take you to the part of our website that has our October resources, where we're looking at this month, uh, our core commitment, Connect. Right? So how can we connect? What does it mean to connect? What is fellowship supposed to look like within the church? And so we want to invite you. There's a couple podcasts, a couple articles, just simple ways for you throughout the month to engage and grow a little bit more beyond Sunday. So make sure to check out the third quarter resources. And also, again, one of the emphases of the third quarter is getting in the game, serving. And so if you uh, call FBC your home but are not serving on a ministry team, we would love to talk to you about ways you can serve and use your gifts here and bless our church and our community. So if you're interested in serving on your connection card at the end of the service when you drop that off, you can indicate in being interested in serving. Sound good? Okay. All right. Hey, does anyone here, raise your hands, have experience as a professional shepherd? You were responsible for feeding, uh, grooming, caring for, protecting sheep. Anyone? You're like, I have middle schoolers. Does that count? A few of you? Okay. Or have you known a personal shepherd, or known personally someone who's a professional shepherd? A couple people? No. Okay. So if uh, we asked that same question back in the first century, in the day of Jesus, a lot more hands would go up. Okay, a lot of people knew about sheep and shepherds. It was an agrarian society, so that was just part of it. People knew about sheep and shepherds. And one thing that was commonly known about sheep is that they require endless attention. They are dependent creatures. They need their shepherd for virtually everything. Which means that the most significant factor in the well-being of a sheep is who their shepherd was. That was the most significant detail. The quality of the shepherd would determine the quality of life for the sheep. Under the care of a good shepherd, the right shepherd, sheep would be fat and happy and content and flourish. 
But under the care of a bad shepherd, their life would be marked by hardship. There's this great little book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, where a man, he writes from his experience as a modern-day shepherd. And he writes about Psalm 23 and all the different phrases in there and kind of unpacks it. Hey, as a shepherd, here's some more detail that you might not know. Fantastic uh, little book. But he writes about, again, how much work it was to care for sheep and how some of his neighboring shepherds wouldn't put in the work and their sheep would suffer. Listen to what he says. It's a quote. He says, The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, rustlers, Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted muddy water to drink. They were thin, weak, and diseased. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. See, the shepherd makes all the difference in the life of a sheep. It's important to note then that the Bible often identifies us as sheep. Not a very flattering picture. God was like, of all the animals in the animal kingdom, which one perfectly captures human beings? Sheep. Oh, man. Because they're vulnerable, right? We're vulnerable and we're, and we're dependent. And so look past the minor offense with me for a moment. Look past the minor offense and realize we're, we're far more dependent than we think we are. And we too need a shepherd. Amen. And so John 10 is going to tell us about the shepherd we can have in Jesus. Look at how the passage begins, verse 1. Very, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep or enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And so the chapter starts with Jesus confronting these Pharisees, religious leaders of his day, kind of continuing the conflict that we've seen in the last few chapters. And he uses this image, this well-known image of a sheep and shepherds to make his point. See, in the ancient world, sheep would be herded at night into a sheep pen for protection. It would be up against the the face of a cliff, perhaps, or some sort of structure or home, and there'd be walls of stone kind of jetting out, probably some thorns or, you know, uh, spiky bushes on top to make it a little higher, and then there would be one gate, one entrance where the sheep could come and go. And it was there in the sheep pen that they'd be protected from thieves or predators, wild animals, and so on. And so Jesus paints this picture for us, and he's doing so to draw this contrast between thieves and robbers, kind of counterfeit shepherds, those who don't really care for the sheep, drawing a contrast between those sorts of leaders and himself as the shepherd who enters the sheep pen the right way through the gate See, these leaders in Jesus' day aren't truly shepherds, but he is. That's the claim he's making. 
Which, if you know the Old Testament, or some of the themes of the Old Testament, you know that that's a pretty big claim, right? The most famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. There's all this language throughout the Old Testament about sheep and shepherds. There's this fascinating passage in uh, the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, where God comes to his people and the leaders in their day and basically says, you guys are shepherds, but you don't care about your sheep. You're not feeding them, you're feeding yourselves. And the people, the sheep, are suffering. You're bad shepherds. And so, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come and, and shepherd the sheep myself. I'll come and I'll, I'll be their shepherd and give them what they need. Similar language, right, to John 10, where Jesus is saying to the leaders of his day, you guys are corrupt, you're more like thieves and robbers, and what the people need is a shepherd. That's why I'm here. And throughout the rest of the section, we're going to learn uh, three truths about our good shepherd. Three truths about our good shepherd. The first is this, the good shepherd knows his sheep. We start off with a simple truth. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Look again at the text. Verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus knows his sheep. Look again closely at verse 3. It says of the shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He approaches his sheep and he calls them by name. See, shepherds were known for their intimate, detailed care for their sheep. One scholar noted that sheep are named, known, and counted every day. Shepherds kept a vigilant watch, and they knew the sheep that belonged to them. and Called them by name. Maybe they have some creative sheep names, like Fluffy, or Barbara, or I don't know. You can think of some creative sheep names on the way home, what they would call them. But they, I know them by name. Right now, think about it. It's a simple truth, and yet it's profound. If you belong to Jesus, he knows your name. It's not as if you approach him and he's like, hey, buddy, yeah, come here, come in close, you know, as we do when we don't know someone's name, I should know, hey, man, yeah, come here, what's her name again? You know, that's not how Jesus treats us or knows us. Now, sometimes we think that because God is so big and important and doing all kinds of important things, throughout the universe. Uh, he must not pay much attention to us or care about the details of our lives because, you know, we're small and, and, and insignificant in comparison. But Jesus says, otherwise, right? I know my sheep and I call them by name. I know their name. Think of the level of detail with which God knows us. And elsewhere, Jesus will say that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Think about that the level of detail with which God knows you. And so be encouraged, Christian, if you are here today and you feel small or insecure or overlooked or unseen, the shepherd knows your name. And he knows your story. And he knows your past. And he knows your fears. And he knows your heart. And he knows your future. He sees you. 
even when you feel unseen. And He cares for you. This is repeated later in the text. Look at verse 14. Again, he says again, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. And so not only do, do we know, or does he know us, but he allows us to know him. To be in relationship with him. Access to him. My sheep know me. In verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That, that's, if we pause long enough to contemplate that truth, that's incredible. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And the comparison is just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I mean, think about the, the connection, the intimacy between the Father and the Son in the Trinity. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father, that's how connected I am with my sheep. It's incredible. So the Good Shepherd knows his sheep. He knows your name. Next we see that the Good Shepherd leads his sheep. Look again at verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Again, some vocabulary there pointing us to the fact that the shepherd leads us. We know his voice. He leads us out, verse 3 says. Verse 4 says the sheep follow him. You can actually read stories today even about sheep and how they're trained, and they're trained to recognize the voice of their shepherd. And so you could have like a sheep pen that has sheep from different shepherds and they're all chilling, doing sheep things all together there. And then it's time for one of the groups to leave and the shepherd can, can call out a word or a little tune or sometimes play a little melody on an instrument and the sheep's heads will pop up. Like, whoop, that's my shepherd calling me. Time to go. And then the sheep that belong to that shepherd will follow their shepherd out and will separate from the group and go where they need to go. Kind of like my mom would call me in for dinner when I was playing out in the street with the neighbor kids growing up, right? They're all playing, you know, kickball or football or whatever. And then, dinner time! You're like, whoop, that was my mom. Right? And if someone else's mom would yell from some other house, I'd be like, that's not my mom, that's not my house. I, can, I still have a few more minutes. You know, praise the Lord, keep playing kickball. But then when you hear your mom, oh, that, that's my mom. Time to go, right? Time to go inside for dinner, okay? Same sort of thing. They, the sheep hear and know the voice of the shepherd, and we follow his leading. And notice it's not really a command in the text. It's not saying, hey, listen to my voice. It's just a statement of fact. My sheep know my voice. And they'll follow me. So our shepherd leads us, but this is important. How does he lead us? This is in the text too. How does he lead us? What does verse 4 say? Says, I go on ahead of them. This is big. The, the Middle Eastern shepherd would not drive the sheep from behind, but would lead them out in front, calling them to follow after him, using his voice to lead them. So our shepherd is not behind us with a whip or with spurs in our sides to get us moving. Our shepherd has gone before us. He's out in front of us saying, come follow after me. Walk in my ways. Follow my example. Walk the path I've set out for you that leads to life. 
So Jesus doesn't call us to that which he has not himself modeled already. This is big. It's not as if Jesus says, hey, I want you to love your enemies. I got this great theory. It works on paper. I think it's going to go well. You go love your enemies. That's what I want you to do. I'm commanding you to do that. I haven't done it, but you go do it. It's not like that. He, he went first. He set the example. He loved his enemies even unto death. So Jesus doesn't call us to that which he has not himself modeled. So he leads us out in front. And notice where he leads us. Talk about how he leads us. Look at where he leads us. Verse 7, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. For the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find what? Pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they, the sheep, may have life and have it to the full. Where does the shepherd lead us? Again, some mixed metaphors here, right? In verse 7, Jesus is both the shepherd of the sheep and you saw it says he's the gate. And so remember, the sheep are in the pen for safety at night. There's a gate, a door, an entryway that they need to come in through. Jesus is saying, hey, it's through me. I'm the gate. I'm the door. You have to access the fold through me in order to enter into the family, the fold of God. It's through me that you must enter and be saved. And then verse 9 and 10, it says what? He leads us in and out to find, again, keyword, pasture. These shepherds were responsible for leading their sheep to good food, good grass, clean water. They would take them out, here's some food, then lead them to some water. If it was a hot day, they'd try and find some shade for their sheep, then some more food, some more water. At the end of the day, right back into the pen for safety at night. Jesus says, I'm here to lead my sheep to good things, to life, to food, to flourishing, that they would be content and fat and happy and live good lives as sheep. I'm here to meet their needs. So notice Jesus is for your joy. Jesus is for your flourishing. He wants good things for you. This is why He came. And sometimes... We believe lies. We believe that God is against us. You know, God is here to steal our joy. And you know, if we believe in Jesus, sure we'll avoid hell, but we're, you know, short of that, we're just going to be miserable and our joy will shrink and we'll live really small, stale lives. Jesus says, No. Yes, I came to give you eternal life and what verse 10 says, abundant life. Life overflowing, life to the full. Say, let me show you truly how to live. I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect. You're going to have prosperity in every way, but let me show you how to live a fulfilling life where I've placed you. That's really fascinating. There's this great book called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Wrote a book answering, uh, I think it's like 12 common objections to Christianity. Does a great job answering some really big questions. It's a fantastic book. And in there, she's kind of arguing for the inherent goodness, you could say, of following Jesus. Basically, hey, the Scriptures command these sorts of things or these principles for how to live a good life. And research in the modern day is proving those things to be true. 
So she's like, research is showing that when biblical principles are followed, people tend to be happier. You know, surprise, right? <laughs> when we do things God's way, it, it leads to, uh, you know, we're more happiness. We're often better off. And so, so look at things like, hey, the scriptures talk a lot about generosity, right? About giving, about life not being about you, but about serving others. And says, actually, when people do that, they tend to be happier. Talks about how, hey, money's not going to lead you to happiness as the scriptures teach. Talk about how people are more filled when they have this sense of this bigger picture, this bigger story that they're a part of. Again, in life, in relationships, in work. They're content in those things. When people practice gratitude, when people practice self-control and perseverance, it leads to greater happiness levels. When people practice forgiveness, so she just goes down the list. Here's all these things that the Bible teaches that Jesus calls us to, and actually, look, people are happier when they do them. Jesus is saying, let me show you how to live a good life. Not in order to earn salvation. That can never come through our good works. Let me show you how to flourish. How to have healthy relationships. How to have joy in your heart, even in the midst of trials and persecution and suffering. Let me lead you to life. And notice the contrast, right, in the text. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we need to be aware of this. There are thieves. There are robbers. We have an enemy whose aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. Saying there are counterfeit shepherds that will lead you away from life. That will lead you into destruction. That will lead you off a cliff. And we all, in different ways, have believed lies of the enemy have believed things about ourselves, about God, about our relationships, about our sexuality, about how we should spend our money, about how to live the good life. We've all bought into lies that our culture has told us, that the enemy is planted in our hearts, that we've maybe wanted to be true but aren't really true, and we've bought into them. Using there are counterfeit shepherds that will lead you away, and maybe it'll sound good at first, but it's going to lead to death and destruction. Follow me. Trust in me that I know the way to life. Walk with me. I'll show you. To abundant life. Life overflowing. Side note, this is a little side note. Um, This is a really special passage for our family uh, because both our kids' names are found from this text. And so verse 10 talks about Jesus coming so that they may have life and life to the full, or life abundantly. Uh, the New Testament, originally written in Greek, right? The Greek word for life is Zoe, right? And our daughter's name Zoe. Uh, so we, we, this, because of, again, the fullness of life that Jesus brings, we named it that to remind us of that. And then the very next verse, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And our, our son we named Shepherd. Because it reminds us of God's care for us and how the good shepherd Jesus came to lay down his life for us. So sorry, just a little side note, a little soapbox for the pastor over here, talking about how much I love my kids and their names. But now you know. So life, no, you don't have to go over it. No, no, no. no. Just, but just wanted you to know. Life, shepherd. Um, so kids at home, there you go. Uh, okay. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd leads his sheep. Lastly, the good shepherd protects his sheep. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus makes this claim in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. And there's this contrast he draws, right, between the shepherd and who? The hired hand. Someone who doesn't really care about the sheep. You know, they were hired to be there. Maybe they're in it for the money. Care more about their own personal well-being than the well-being of the sheep. And he says, here's how you can tell. When danger comes, the hired hand runs away. But the shepherd runs towards the danger. The shepherd protects the sheep. Steps in to fill the gap. Lays down his very life, it says, for the sheep. When danger draws near, the shepherd moves toward it, not away. We celebrate that, don't we? Thinking about just on a horizontal level, we celebrate uh, the men and women who serve as police officers or firefighters or serve in the military. When most of us are running away from danger, right? They run towards it for our good. We celebrate that as we should. Jesus is saying, even in an even greater way, as the shepherd, I protect my sheep. I lay down my life. For my sheep. And here's the ultimate demonstration then of my love, of my, my goodness that I am the good shepherd. I'm going to die for my sheep. Ephesians 5.25 calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. He goes, well, how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. He just loves his sheep. Gave himself for us the heart of the gospel message, right? He's not just a hired hand. One commentator put it this way, our shepherd protects us carrying not a wooden staff, but a wooden cross. His death is the means by which he protects us. It's a simple gospel we celebrate every week. Jesus the Savior. Jesus the Rescuer. Who stepped in and what? Went to the cross died for us, took all the consequences of of sin and death and judgment upon himself for our sins so that we wouldn't have to, so the sheep would be protected and spared and flourish. He saves us from sin and death and judgment. Whoever would trust in him. So not only do we celebrate this, this gospel, this Savior who died for us, Also then, we realize that this is the way, this is a little harder, this is the way we are to go. Right? Those wristbands, what would Jesus do? WWJD? Anybody remember that? He would lay down his life for his sheep. So if we want to be like Jesus, what do we need to do? We need to lay down our lives for the good of others. That's the model, right? If a pastor wants to be like Jesus, what's the mark? Lay down your life for the good of your people. If a husband wants to be like Jesus, what's the standard? Lay down your life for the good of your wife. Parents want to be like Jesus, what's, what's the standard? What's the example set? Lay down your life for the good of your kids. Want to be good neighbors? Want to be like Jesus? Lay down your life for the good of your neighbors 
and they're flourishing. So we see that responsibility, we see that, that leadership in the kingdom is not about privilege and comfort, it's about sacrifice for the good of others. And notice too, this is big, Jesus' death was not an accident. Look at verse 18, verse 17 and 18. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes my life from me. This isn't just some tragic accident, like I came to earth, you know, to do some good things, got caught up with the law, and, you know, I died, and man, that really wasn't supposed to go that way. I was like, no one's taking my life from me. I came to lay it down. This is why I'm here. To die for my people. And so yes, on the cross we see just the ultimate display of of human darkness and wickedness that we killed the light of the world. And yet at the same time, in, in the mystery of the will of God, God's plan of salvation was unfolding. He said, this is why I came, to lay down my life. No one takes it from me. Now, notice, last thing, how this section ends, okay? Uh, If you've read through John with us a little bit now, this will be familiar to you. This will sound similar to what we've seen before. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Some people are like, this guy's crazy. The good shepherd, protect your sheep, know your sheep, lead your sheep. No way. Verse 21, but others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Referencing again last week, chapter 9, Jesus' miraculous power to heal. So other people are saying, you know what? No, there's something here. You need to believe in this man. And and many do come to faith and do believe. And so uh, John over and over again shows us this division. The crowds are divided on the teaching of Jesus, on the works of Jesus. And it's as if to present the decision afresh to us. Again, the decision is ours. Will you be like those in the crowd who believe, who trust, who follow, who hear the voice of the shepherd and go with him? Or will you be like those who do not, who stray or who... Say he's crazy. And really, in light of shepherding then, this idea of sheep and shepherd, we have a couple options the Bible lays out for us. The first option is we could have a bad shepherd. Right? We could be entrusting ourselves to the care of someone or something that will not lead to our flourishing. We could entrust ourselves to a, a person, to a, a career, to some achievement we're pursuing, some ideology, some way of viewing the world where people say, hey, you know what? Uh, Jesus in the Bible, again, it's old, it's outdated, sure has some nice little quotes in there, but let's not get carried away, right? We know better now how to live a flourishing life. So when it comes to your relationships, again, your sexuality or your money or your priorities or whatever, like, right, we've evolved past what scriptures say, and so we know better now. And that's not true, but that's what we'll hear. And so some of us will buy into that. And we'll entrust ourselves then to the the sages of modern day, thinking that they'll lead us to life when they won't. We have a bad shepherd. Or, second option, we could have no shepherd. 
Right? The Bible talks about that. Sheep without a shepherd. And we think, you know, we're, we're modern day industrious sheep. We've evolved. Surely we can operate tools and care for ourselves now, right? We don't need a shepherd. Maybe they did back then, but nowadays, not so much. So we're like, we don't need a shepherd, you know? I'm just going to call the shots on my own. You know what? Maybe when a sheep strays from the ranch originally, maybe that's true for a time. You know, they find a good, nice little patch of grass and they're fairly happy and, you know, find some clean water. But give it some time and sheep are really unable to protect themselves. And foolishly will wander off, but then what, a storm will roll in and they'll need shelter or they'll hear some rustling in the bushes nearby and there'll be danger or they'll run out of food or run out of water or sometimes sheep will tip over. It's called when a sheep is cast and they are on their back and their legs are up in the air and they can't get back over and gases will build up in their head and if they're not found, they'll die. Like, I'm not making that up. That's serious. They'll, they'll just flip, flip over and not be able to get back up and they'll die. Okay, so simple point. Um, without a shepherd, we are vulnerable. So consider not only your current life circumstances, but also, too, again, the uh, reality of your total existence and that one day we'll all stand before God. And on that day, we'll give an account for our life. And on that day, I promise you, we will want a shepherd who paid in full for us, who clothes us in His righteousness, who forgives us so that we would not have to bear the weight of our sin. So we could have a bad shepherd, we could have no shepherd, or we could have a good shepherd who knows us, leads us, and in love laid down his life for us. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord, where would we be without your care? You feed us. You lead us, you protect us from danger both now and forever. You know us, you've called us by name. You love us. God, where else can we go to find such care? We love you. We thank you. We worship you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't put their faith in you, is not walking with you, have not um, followed you as their shepherd, that they today would believe and put their trust in you as Lord and Savior. It's in your name we pray, Jesus.